Hi, Jeff. Hi, Soraya. How are you doing? Ah, crazy days. Anyways, I'm fine. (laughs) Good, good. Well, we just got melting, but yeah, it is pretty warm in Southern California. These days it is, but I digress. Jeff, today's a good day. It is a good day. Because today we're being rejoined by our amazing guest host, Ronnie Barnett of the Muffs. Yep, who is so, he is so good that Steve Wynn wants to take his place. That's I'm how- telling you, Ronnie blazed a trail that others wish to walk on. <laughs> I love it. But Jeff, tell our listeners who our guest is today. So today we are speaking to Van Christian, who um, was in the original Green on Red. Yeah. And as the drummer. Yep. And then went on to start his own band, Naked Prey. Naked Prey. We talked a little bit about this record that Steve put out on our Down There episode. So right. the timing is good because Ronnie's been asking to have Van Christian on for a couple of years, Soraya. And the timing is right now, um, having just spoken with Steve Wynn about the Down There releases. And uh, Steve was a fan and put out the first record. So it was really a privilege to talk to Van Christian today. Absolutely. And um, listeners will also notice there's quite a few links. Yes. To um, the Paisley Underground scene um, in a number of ways. And as you listen to our conversation with Van, who was a great storyteller. Yes. uh, And an amazing musician in his own right. Um, you're going to notice exactly how many links there are. So if you've never heard of Naked Prey, we're glad that today is your first listen. And if you're already aware of the band, well, then you get to just enjoy a conversation with him. Yes. And And with Ronnie, too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I definitely recommend that you check out the records that Naked Prey put out um, by all means. So if you're a fan of Green on Red, I would say that um, that Naked Prey is definitely right up your alley. And uh, if you're a Tucson music scene fan, this is an interview to listen to too. Yeah, so, absolutely. Jeff, I say let's get started. Let's jump in. Naked or not. <laughs> Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agrubiar. Let's get groovy. All right. So, uh, Jeff, for our listeners, we, ha- we are rejoined by the one and only Ronnie Barnett of the Muffs. Guest host, but more importantly, today joining us, Van Christian from Naked Prey. Yay! This band. Show it. Yes. Show it. <laughs> Van, nice to meet you and uh, face to face at last. Ronnie, look at my shirt, buddy. Oh my God. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. shirt ever. Wow. Thank you for that. I need it. I don't have a Naked Prey shirt. Well, I, I think we have one somewhere. Maybe I'll find you one. Okay, okay. Well, you heard that. You got that's that got recorded. <laughs> so it's official now. It's official. It's yeah. Official. All right. So we got a few questions, Van, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, we recently had Steve Wynn on the show, and uh-huh. we were talking to Steve about his down there label. But before that, my understanding is there is a connection with Green on Red. And Mr. Van Christian, can we talk about that? So yeah, so that's how I actually got to meet Steve. And <clears throat> Green on Red actually was a band here in Tucson called the Surfers, and S E R F E R S. So we started a little band when we got out of high school, and I was a drummer for that band. So then we moved to Los Angeles, and um, that's when we became Green on Red. Well, sort of they became green on red as I exited sort of a thing. I came back to Tucson and that's how I was still in touch with all of them and was able to 
get in on the down there thing. Uh, okay, okay. So, so and, and you you and Dan were like childhood friends, right? I, I remember him once telling me you guys were on like football teams that got used to get beat 80 to nothing, like bad teams. And <laughs> well, maybe not that bad, but it was like 60 something to nothing. <laughs> it was like peewee football. Okay. Uh, Danny wasn't very good. I was really good though. Danny wasn't very good. <laughs> what? So so you know, so you guys were in grade school together then? We grew up together. Our dads were both professors at the U of A. I'm not sure if that's even how we met, though. We may have met through some sporting thing or high school, or way before high school, but as kids, we met. Okay. What what position were you on that football team, man? I was actually in the backfield. I, I was the slowest safety in the league, and Danny was a center, oh, okay. believe it or not. Wow. He hiked the ball. Yes. Controlling like, the action. You know, <laughs> Yeah, it was like, uh, what do they call it? TYF, Tucson Youth Football. So it was all all padded up and like really hard workouts. And it was way more athletic than I was up for. Nice. And, and when do you guys discover music? Like as teenagers, what, what kind of stuff are you listening um, to? So then we were at Tucson High and we were playing. We both played on the tennis team. We had a group of friends that had a had a band called the Pedestrians. And that was with Chris Kakavis and... Billy Settlemeyer and some other guys. And, and we would kind of hang around them. And then we, we wanted to start our own band. So Danny had this old Yamaha guitar and I still had my drums from when I was a kid. So we, we started our own band and that's, that's how we became the surfers. And then the pedestrians broke up and Chris came, came on board with us. Okay. After that. What now did the surfers play out much at this point? Like in Tucson? Yeah, did you get time. gigs? I mean, okay. We played in Tucson, you know, bands would come through from Los Angeles and play, and we'd always get the opening spot. Um, so we played a lot of shows here. We really didn't play too much besides that, maybe in Phoenix. And we played in, in Los Angeles once we moved there. I think we were the surfers our first few shows. Um, yeah, when we, when we moved out there, we played like the Starwood. I think we opened for Berlin. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's like a, like some uh, huge band. It's kind of it's kind of fuzzy, but I think we yeah. were still the surfers at that point. Okay, and then you moved back to Tucson. You said so, I, were you just not liking yeah, Lawson, not ready, or didn't want to live here? Yeah, just you know, yeah, just it was it was not working. Like Danny and I had known each other for so long, I was <clears throat> I was just not happy with it. So I just came home and started my own band. I started writing songs and I, I kind of felt like I was as good as a drummer as I was ever going to be. And, and those guys were just kind of growing and I felt like I wasn't. So I, so I split, but they remained great friends. And I, I ended up actually touring with them quite a bit, just not playing the drums. I would just ride along. Wow. <laughs> you know, drummer. Nice. <laughs> so I was, I was still kind of hanging out with them when Alex was a drummer. And then, so I had this uh, I had this demo tape that my friend Hal Gelb had helped me make here in Tucson. And I sent it to Danny. I think I sent a big uh, a big spliff along with it. <laughs> he, he really liked it. And Susie, his girlfriend at the time, said, you guys should come record. Maybe I can put your record out. So I didn't really have a band, but I, but I got a bunch of guys together and rehearsed the songs and went out there. And we recorded them. And while we were recording them, Steve Wynn came into the studio and sat down on the couch and was listening for a while. And he was like, well, I'll put your record out right away. So that was good news, you know? And then so he did, you know, that was the Down There record, the first orange one.
Was that the third release on down there? It was. I, I know the Dream Syndicate and and Green on Red had records had already come out on down there, and yeah. I'm not sure what else. I think I think you're right. I think this was the third release on down yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. By yep. the way, listeners, take notes. Send the spliff along with uh, your demo, <laughs> and somebody might pay yeah. attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good man. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you, you had Dan producing this record, right, Van? So Dan actually, yeah, he he was there. So what? How was he like as a producer? Well, I, you know, disruptive, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. And then later, I um, he produced a record of ours, "Kill the Messenger," him and Chuck. And they had mm -hmm. done that. I think it was right on the heels of their. Um, what record is it? This one. The first one that came out, uh, the the one that Jim Dickinson did. Oh, uh huh. Yeah, uh, I can't think so of the title. Yeah, but. I can't either. But they they were sure you know full of good ideas and and I think that's a really good record. It's one of the, it's one of the records I'm really proud of from you know way back then. Yeah, we did that here. We did that in Paradise Valley up in Phoenix, and and Chuck and Dan were both there. Um, and it was a nice big recording studio. We had kind of a little budget, and that was really cool. Yeah, now that you mention it, I can hear the Dickinson uh, influence on their production on this record. It's, it's got a looser yeah. kind of feel. and Yeah, I think that was Chuck just kind of trying out all the stuff he had maybe learned while he was making his record. Right. Um. Get, getting back to this one for a second. Now, there's a European version that, that has more songs. That, how did how did that come about? Well, we they, um, Enigma picked it up then um, from down there. So Enigma, I think, picked up all down there stuff, and they wanted a full LP. So we went just went back into that same studio and recorded, I think, four or five more songs. So originally it was just the EP, and then we, we recorded some more songs for it. Yeah, that studio I see is a uh, the control center, which is was a great studio. We we recorded there as well. That was a great little studio in Korea, edge of oh, Koreatown. Cool. Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, I, I wasn't really familiar with. I, of course, I knew of the Muffs, but didn't hadn't been familiar with them until recently. Until after Kim died, actually, and Danny was talking to me about it, and he gave me these CDs. I have three CDs here that I listen to all the time. And he gave me this T-shirt. And, and I think back um, at some point during the whole evolution of Naked Prayer or whatever, there was this guy that worked for Electra Records, I guess. And and he said, you know, we're going to get you guys a deal on Electra and this and that. And there's another band, the Pandoras, that, that we might sign, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't think anything of it until... Later, when I was, you know, became a Muffs fan, and Danny told me, "Well, I think Kim was one of the original Pandoras." Is that true? Yeah, uh, not original, but she, uh, she was early on. Uh, you know, after the first record, she they had two okay. bass players before her, but she was there for the and golden they, age. They, they, yeah, they ended up on Electra. Records. Yeah, they well, they made a record for Electra and it got dropped before it came out, so it never came out. Um, no, that's no good. Their A and R guy got cool. fired. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, that guy got fired. Yeah, Steve yeah. Prof. Yes, yes, yes. He signed Pandora's and Jet Boy, and uh, man, they fired him. And both those records didn't come out on Electric. Jet Boy ended up coming out on MCA, but Pandora's record still has never come out. It, it's 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 a good record. It should actually That's terrible. come That's out. Terrible. Yeah, but yeah, he's been on something forever. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. I think back on it, I, I feel ridiculous. You know. Well, <laughs> no, it's fine. All good. All good. Yeah. 
But yeah, look at it that way. If you had signed with Steve Pross and Electra, you would have got dropped too. And <laughs> yeah, probably never would have been another record album ever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, can we move on to this record? I have a couple things to say about this record. So this is the next record under the Blue Marlin. talked about connections with paisley underground we love to talk about paisley underground and uh-huh. and naked prey does come up sometimes in in conversations about the paisley underground there are some connections um we've talked about steve Wynn, the down there label so this was released on frontier records who uh-huh. put out some records by the three o'clock how did you guys come to sign with lisa and frontier so well through the through the down there thing Enigma put out, uh, you know, they took over the record and, and distributed it or whatever. And then and they said, well, we'd like to sign your guys' band, and and the, which was great, but the contract was for eight records. And that at that point, it seemed like so much to me. I, I don't think I've made eight records in my life. So <laughs> I was thinking, that's a lot of records, you know. But other than that, I, I'd love to sign with them. But so Lisa from Frontier kind of got interested but she certainly wasn't interested in any kind of bidding war or anything like that. She was just sort of, look, I'll put your record out. We can renegotiate after after two or something like that. And that sounded much more reasonable to me. Okay. And, and so I kind of lost the, the connection with the Enigma, which later on I kind of wished I'd kept, but those things happened. And Lisa was great. And she, she put, that was the first record we put out on Frontier, that Under the Blue Marlin. And we ended up doing a couple more for her as well. Yeah. I will say that this cover, um, I don't know if you'd like to hear this, but it kind of reminds me of Gravity Talks kind of vibes. Yeah. Was that intentional? Which one is first? I guess there's oh, yeah. first one. <laughs> it does have that kind yeah. of vibe too. And then this is produced by Paul B. Cutler, who ended up playing with Dream Syndicate. So yeah. Another connection. He, he ended up um it's a strange thing. He he ended up producing my record, um, Jumbo Shine Room, Jumbo Shine Box, which was kind of a Van Christian record, but it was called Naked Prey, and it came out on Fundamental. It was kind of like after I had the band no more, <laughs> and I was just writing songs. I wanted to make a record. He produced that for me at the Control Center again. Mm. It was just the two of us. It was really fun. Wow, and Paul was great. And he's a Phoenix guy originally. That's right. I didn't know That's that. Right. Oh. Yeah, big Arizona connection. Here's another weird thing. So at, at some point in my life, I ended up doing a couple years in prison for a marijuana charge trafficking. So when you get out, you have to go to a halfway house, right? You can't just go home. Mm-hmm. So I'm living at this halfway house and there's this old Native American guy that, that was in there, I think for DUIs or something. And he, he had a guitar and he wrote these really cool songs, kind of hokey folk songs. And he told me he was uh, in bands all his life, you know. So this happens, that happens. Several months later, maybe a year later, I get a phone call that he had died. Wow. So I was kind of close with the guy. So I, I drive up to Safford for his funeral. And they had all this, these pictures of eight by tens and flyers and stuff. And they, they had his guitar there. And all these things. And I was looking at one of these eight by tens, and it's like a rock band from the '70s. And there's Paul uh, in in the band with a, with an SG on, with really long hair and like wow. a black skinny tie. I was like, that is such a trip. 
<laughs> but I was always wondering how much the, what this guy said was fiction and what was real. But then yeah. I realized at that moment it was all real, you know. What the, it makes sense if you hear Paul, I mean, Paul's playing, which I'm glad you bring that up because I, I want to talk about your the guitar player in Naked Prey, David Seeger. I mean, oh, and, yeah. um, I, I mean, he's his, his playing is, is this record sounds huge. And uh, his playing is such a big part of the band. And you can tell I might be wrong with this assessment, but it seems like he's a guy that came out of a, bit, a rock background like that, too. Yeah. And, and that's how that's kind of how we got together. He was he, he was a childhood friend of mine. You know, we grew up as little kids together and he had played with Billy and the pedestrians and stuff. And then he was playing with Giant Sand. Um, the first incarnation of, or no, the giant sand worms, mm-hmm. the first incarnation of giant sand. So the the guy that wrote the songs and sang played a lot of guitar too. So Dave was sort of, you know, relegated to just kind of playing rhythm stuff. And when I started writing songs, he came and started playing guitar with me. And I told him that you can play whatever you want. You can play everything. Cause I don't know how to play the guitar, you know? <laughs> so that was inviting to him. Mm-hmm. He played it. He did. He played everything. Most yeah. of the rhythm guitar on those early records is him, also. Okay. Although I might say my name, it's actually him playing the guitar. Uh-huh. And he's an amazing talent. And, you know, whatever little success we, we did have, definitely he's responsible for a lot of that. Nice. Did, did, did he go on after uh, Naked Prey to do anything musical, or is he still around? Yeah, he's around. He okay. he um he has his own, you know, he, he paints houses. Um, him and his brothers had a painting business, but and he he has a band. If you ever find a band, I'm trying to think of the name of them right now, and I think it's uh, Underbelly or it, he, so he made a couple of records with Rich Hopkins from the from the Sand Rubies. Okay. I can't think of the name of this band right now. It's, it's horrible, but he put some records out on a German label. Okay. Him and John Vinay, which is another guy that's played with me on and off. So yeah, he went on to make some pretty cool music. Okay, okay. Play. I mean, this lineup stayed together for quite quite a while. Um, that's the main one. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Do, do you start touring the... Uh, I, I don't remember you guys... I, I grew up in Houston. I don't remember Naked Prey playing Houston. Um, did you guys do much touring, like starting with this record? I know we played Dallas, but I don't think we played Houston. Yeah. So was there much touring over the years? The whole time. There... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we were touring the whole time. We toured behind the Orange record with a different drummer. But once Larkins joined, I guess the main tour we did was the Good, the Bad, and the Early tour with for Frontier with the Pontiac Brothers and Thin White Rope. Okay. And it was called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It was like three bands on the road together. And it was, a lot of people say, oh yeah, I saw that tour. But I don't remember it really many people come to see it at all, but <laughs> apparently a lot of people did. <laughs> it's funny who, how that works. Who was the ugly band on that in that bill? Probably definitely <laughs> the Pineland Brothers, I think. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I guess Ward moved to... Um, Polynesia somewhere. Oh, that's right. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. I, I he came from Tucson not long ago and he was looking for houses to buy just before all this um that um pandemic thing happened. Okay. And he was looking for houses on the east side. He's he married a girl over there and has a little has a little baby. Pretty cool. Nice. Nice. Before we move on from this record, Van, I have a question about um the, the credits so your legal representation as steven piucci any relation to matt his brother okay i figured that's my brother so and of course that's how that's how we got him through matt okay okay because so, we just needed somebody to look over the the contract yeah and he went back and forth with them a little bit about just some little things but i think everything was pretty much on the up and up you know uh, who knows now i wish i would have read that thing a little closer with all the streaming thing and all that crap you know oh it's like we're left out in the cold i i think the spotify and all those people made they made some kind of deal with the record labels 
long before we even knew there would be a thing. Yep. And the, the artist kind of got left out of it a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think nobody like coming. No, no. Yeah. So, hey, those contracts are impossible to read, man. Don't feel bad. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why you got to hire a, a Stephen Piucci, right? Yeah. Things like the world and forever. And it's like, yeah, once it says that, you're, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then it's like, who? you got to get the record out somehow. Uh, that's, yeah, that's why bands end up in these bad deals, right? Yeah. Your only and option. We just, people, yeah, people aren't in this business for the money. That's for sure. At least that's not the way it starts. Yeah. All right. All right. So then we go to this one, right? The, the, the second and last on Frontier, 40 miles yep. lower. I guess that was the last one on Frontier. Yeah. Now that's Dan, that's Danny's dog on the on the cover of that record. And <laughs> that's oh, a wow. big field here in Tucson that is now just for as for as far as you can see in that picture is like really overpriced barrio housing, like you know, really fancy houses. Oh wow! Yeah. But back then it was just a like next to downtown this huge field with a grain elevator in it. The dog casts quite a quite a shadow here. <laughs> it does, man. Cast a huge shadow. And then on the back, we have a very glamorous photo, band photo taken by my friend Greg Allen. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, I was gonna talk about that that picture that you mentioned on Under the Blue Marlin that looks like Gravity Talks. Yes. That was taken by a guy named John Scarpati. Yes. Who was kind of a fancy photographer. I think he went on. You know, he did some work for Penthouse and and um, other things, but really cool guy. And he drove out here on his own dime to do that photo shoot. And he was standing in the middle of a patch of cactus when he took that picture. So oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him or where he is, but I, I got to give it up to that guy. He, he was definitely dedicated to his to his craft. Yeah, he did a, a, a lot of work during that. He did the uh, Red Cross Neurotica album cover as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he he was around doing doing some good work then. Yeah, the, the under the blue Marlin cover is, is wonderful. Um, and I don't think it, I don't think he had seen the Gravity Talks cover. Yeah, or not. But I, I kind of doubt it. I think it's just a coincidence. Just one of those weird naked prey green on red uh, symmetry things, right? Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, but you go a different direction with this cover. This is a great cover as well. Um, and another great album. And that's the, that, we did that cover. Um, the only video we ever shot was for that album. And it was, we shot some of it out in that field and that grain elevator and stuff. It was uh, uh, for Frontier. And was, the song on the record is I'm Coming Home. Okay. That the video is too. You know, it was kind of, it wasn't a big dollar video, but it was like our, our crack at getting on 120 minutes or something like that. Yeah. I don't think it did though. It never got on anything, but it got on some local stuff around here and the guys that did it were local guys from around here. So I guess that's fitting. Nice. But the, as far as that record, the way it sounds and stuff, it's, it sounds pretty big. And that's uh, this guy, Randy Burns, who I think he might even got a Grammy for the first Megadeth record. Wow. Mm. He produced the first Megadeth record, and I don't know how Lisa found the guy, but she did. And um, I wanted someone else to produce it. I forget who, but she really <laughs> wanted him, so we ended up going with him. And he certainly 
you know, knew what he was doing. He, he had a certain thing he wanted to achieve, and I think he did as well as he could have. Wow. Yeah, so that would have been after his Megadeth record then. making the Yeah, record. after the sure. Wow. Interesting. So the Megadeth Naked Meg Prey connection, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, you, you can definitely hear that. Like that record to me, that 40 Miles from Nowhere, Yeah, it sounds a little Pink Floydy. Like I think he was kind of getting into trying to achieve that sound as a young producer or whatever. But he, we, we did some rhythm tracks up in LA at a place called El Dorado. But then I wanted to record in the studio in Nogales, Arizona, which is right on the border of Mexico. And it was just this, uh, it was this big fancy studio that had a really impressive spec sheet, but none of the none of the equipment worked. It was even hooked up or plugged in or properly, you know, incorporated with the recording studio. So when we got down there, we just realized it's just a room with all this expensive equipment in it. And he had to set all that stuff up. He was not happy about it. Yeah. He was <laughs> he was on his knees calibrating the machine and oh. just cursing the whole time. And it, it took us most of our studio time to set up their studio. And so he was in a bad mood the whole time so then we got finished there and he wanted to go back to la we went back to la to el dorado and then he said you know what maybe i did have a handle on it down there in mexico i want to go back to mexico <laughs> so when we came back to finish the record again so in other words that sounds you know humorous but it's horrible for lisa something like that is a huge thing for her budget right didn't do any good with our relationship her and i either you know some financial problems, just she was losing money on us, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, is that is that what leads to the uh, you leaving Frontier, all yeah. that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we were overseas and everybody had a return plane flight, but me, I didn't have a return plane ticket. So I basically was homeless in London for like almost a month. Wow. And, and the, the booking agent, which was just a cricket as hell, called Lisa and kept calling her and calling her. And she was like, I'm out of it. I'm out of it. But then finally she put it on her credit card, my, my return flight home. And then we had a few discussions after that, but it was over. I mean, you know, she got done wrong yeah. by them, by, by several different people, you know? Yeah. You know, if I could do it to her now, I would tell her there's no hard feelings and sorry for my part in it, whatever. But so that was that for that. Then we went on to fundamental. Yeah. But really, it was me and a naked prey. Anything I did after that, I did without David Seeger. Um, Tommy Larkins was still my drummer. Yeah. But once Dave left, it really wasn't naked prey anymore. And I should have should have started calling it something else or by my own name. Right. He is, he is still he is still on this record, the first fundamental. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's over that. Yeah. Now, Reiner plays, another guy from town, Reiner plays on that record, too, but Dave's also all on it. We were, we were all, all together on that one. So, Ronnie, I know you're going to hate this because you know I like to make everything about me. But <laughs> Here I, we go. I like to say, Van, that you and I were label mates because I was in a band called White Glove Test. We put out a record on Fundamental. I think you were your catalog Save 71. I think wow. for Kill the Messenger. And we were save, you were save 73, we were save 81. So we're about wow. eight, eight catalog numbers off from after us. Yeah. So, so yeah, after you. So we were pretty much on the label cool. at the same time. And what's the name of the band? White Glove Test. I'm going to definitely check it out. Now, you know, Lightning Hopkins put some records out on that label. Oh. Mm. Which was, wow. which was, I would point out to people every chance I could. Yeah. When we, when we signed with the label, that was the coolest thing to me about him that he had actually put out a couple of records of Lightning Hopkins. Yeah. I always thought Fundamental was a European label, but I see they were based in Georgia. So, no, he, well, when I, when I met him, he was, he might be in Georgia now, but he was, um, Oxford, Mississippi. Oh, okay. Hmm. I Sonia, I see Sonia for a second. Hmm. So he was from Mississippi, all those all those blues guys, like you know, 
Possum Records and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure if he was involved with them or anything, but he was definitely a character. So did you get approached pretty quickly uh, from Fundamental, like after the after you left Frontier? That happened. Not at all. Um, I don't even. We were so lucky. We had this manager, this British guy that looked like um, the singer from the Who, Roger Daltrey. He looked just like that guy. <laughs> and he, Lisa was saying, um, "I'm going to want to hear some really good demos. They're going to have to basically like you're going to have to talk me into this." Like, and he was like, "Oh, we'll get we'll get a better deal easy." So I was like, "Yeah, I get a better deal easy. You know, go go." <laughs> So somehow he came up with this guy and the guy coughed up a lot of money for that Kill the Messenger record. Wow. The biggest budget we had ever had. Oh. I don't care. Rains or freezes. Long as I got my blasting Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. Comes in colors, pink and pleasant. Glows in the dark, cause it's iridescent. Take it with you when you travel far. So, of course, I was like, who needs Frontier? This is, we're off to the races. But <laughs> so it goes to show you that like, I would have loved to stay on Frontier at that point, you know, and have no budget. Because I mean, that record came out and they gave us a nice big recording budget, but he wasn't really interested in the band very much. Mm. And then I put a, we put a live record out on that same label. Yes. And I think that was it for that. This one. That was a wrap for, yep, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Pray live in Tucson, and I did that for fun. And then that was uh, that was it. The only record I put out. Oh no, I did put Jumbo Shinebox out on that label. That's an easy free record most people don't know about. It's with, without Dave. Yes. And then I did a record in the late 90s for Epiphany Records, which was the guy that owns Zia Records, Brad Singer. Oh. And that's a, that's a really good record. It's, it's very glammy, kind of.
and that's with John Vinay playing guitar, the guy that Dave Seeger started a band with when he left Naked Prey. Oh. Interesting. So those guys, those guys had had a band called Underbelly. That's the name of their band. Okay. So if you have, if you had a chance to check it out, look it out. Yeah. Look up Underbelly on YouTube or something, and I forget the German label that they were on, but they did three or four records for some for some label. Definitely, if you like Dave's guitar playing, yeah, you, you get a you get a fistful of it on those records for sure. Wonderful, wonderful. So, so after these two later Naked Prey records in the '90s, that's you retired. That was it. I just, name, yeah, yeah, yeah. I but I made a record a few years ago. I guess a lot of years ago by now that came out about 2013 called Party of One, Van Christian. proud of that record and I'm I'm in the um I'm trying to make a record right now with Bill Elm from Friends of D Martinez which was another thing I did after Naked Prey I was I was a drummer and started that band and named it and everything and then they went on to we got a deal on sub pop yeah he went on to make a lot of records Bill did so he's in town again now he's trying to help me uh make my record okay interesting van these bands that you uh start that you play drums in go on to uh you know green on red friends of d Mart yeah <laughs> yeah so if i play drums for you, you you'll probably fire me soon but you might do something <laughs> take note all you bands out there it's yeah. your drummer <laughs> so we so are you saying that we may be hearing new music from van christian shortly i hope yeah i hope so it, um you know i've been i'm i've always i'm always trying to make a record so Anytime anyone's ever talked to me, probably in the past 20 years, I probably said, well, I'm making a record, you know, so I'm always trying to make a record. <laughs> right. So, Something, I'll get one out. And yeah, you might come your way, I hope. So are you writing songs? Is that what's happening? Do you always have songs in your head or? Well, yeah, I've always had songs in my head and I, I just enjoy making records. Like, it's been fun for me, you know? Well, we yeah. enjoy listening to them. That's for sure. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. I, I'm kind of an outlier of the Paisley Underground, but I'm definitely a fan of the Paisley Underground. Right. Like, I'm, you know, my friends, I I root for them all the time, and it so happens that I think they they make really great music too. You know, like yeah. Chuck and Danny, anything Chuck and Danny have done on their own. I really love, and obviously I love the green on red stuff. And yeah, so yeah I appreciate being, being included a little bit. Yeah, and I'm guessing yeah. you're a fan of Chris Kakavis too, because you pulled him in for this one, so. Oh yeah, how can you not be a fan of Chris Kakavis? Agreed, Soraya, He's are we on the, Absolutely. we're on the Chris oh. Kakavis love boat, aren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> I love, uh, there's a Steve Wynn quote about Chris uh, that I love to, say that he said he chris had the best voice out of anybody he's the best singer out of all of us <laughs> yeah yeah and it's uh he's a great singer he was absolutely I and mean, he was always the best musician out of everybody too you know he he's the one that you would ask if you had a musical question right he would be the go-to guy you know yeah and i'm pretty sure he taught himself to play piano i remember him playing his piano at his mother's house so we went to high school together too chris and i and yeah. danny at his mother's house, there was this upright piano. And the first time he sat down on it, he started playing some Brian Eno thing that I had heard before, but completely different. And he just amazed, I had no idea it was amazing, you know? Wow. Yeah. So it's just, it just comes naturally, it sounds like. 
Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And his voice is just very his voice is very soothing and honest and and a more thoughtful guy. I mean, you know, you won't meet. He's he's really yeah, he's a good person, also, you know. I agree. He's way too talented, that bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey Soraya. Um, so we were talking earlier about um your thoughts about uh naked prey and when you listen to him. Um, did you want to tell Van a little bit about what you were saying earlier to me offline? Um, when you listen to the band, like how you how it made you feel? Oh, all I was telling Jeff is probably what Ronnie and many other people have said before. I just really like the band, and it's a really good. Uh, I I read a description that include it said it's like country rock, but no, no, no. This is like a completely different sound, or at least the description Ooh. I think fails it. It's a nice. It's a really good solid sound, and absolutely i can hear green on red the naked prey and a few other bands and just absolutely understand the thread that runs through it and i have to tell you van we have a listener that a couple of months ago he sent us and i, I hope no one gets mad but i'm not going to name him but we had a listener send us a bunch of uh cds of live shows of naked prey wow and he just said, this is just my gift to you because I love Naked Prey. And I remember telling Jeff, this is pretty amazing, but also it shows you, man, how appreciative fans are of the music that you put out and what people really still believe about Naked Prey. Well, thank that you. Like that. a little treasure and they want to share it. That's really nice. And I appreciate that. And I will say, I found that to be true too. Like, we never had a huge following or, or achieved much success, but I do hear from people occasionally. And the people that I do hear from are really super, the people that like the band really love the band, you know? Absolutely. A few of them that there were or whatever. It, it, we never had any, we had some pretty successful European tours, but, but you know, still marginal, never, never achieved any huge success, but it would be a pocket of people, a handful of people that, would have a story about something or this or that, or the band meant something to them in some way. And hey, I'll take it. It's, you know, it's not nothing. Yeah. Oh, I'd say, so I have to ask, where did the name come from? How did you come up with the name? And, that, and that's a, the biggest problem with this band is that name. And it's a terrible name. <laughs> what happened was, I was watching, I was watching the movie, like literally on like local, Channel 11 KZAZ TV on like a Friday afternoon. And I remember, I think it was, I think I even had Steve on the phone. And he was like, dude, you need to name your band like now. And, and that movie was Naked Prey. And so I named the band that. I hadn't, I was a blank. Yeah. And I had been a blank like, for months on it. I just hadn't thought of a name. I always, you know, I go by the creed, there's two kinds of band names. Stupid and really stupid. So. <laughs> True. And so I just named it Naked Prey, and it, it just stuck. But when I when I hear that name, to me, it, it doesn't doesn't match the band, and it, it sounds ridiculous. But you kind of become the name of your band rather than the name of your band becomes you. You know, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I think with Naked Prey, one thing that makes it difficult is if you try to Google it, you're going to get the book. You're going to get movie what are you gonna get you're gonna, you're gonna get that movie that Cornell wild movie which is a great movie and it it has very little dialogue in it it kind of keeps you in a hypnotic mm -hmm. state if you ever have a chance to watch that movie it's pretty cool but then there's some guy wrote a book too i think john stafford or stafford or something right 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 like one of these like a james patterson type book yeah yeah so, so that's unfortunate ronnie we know what happens when people misinterpret band names don't we I, I was gonna say you did, you know, you're gonna get some naked photos with naked prey, and then uh, be careful <laughs> doing a search for my band's name too. Um, yeah, right on. <laughs> it's hard to think of a band name, right, man? I mean, it just it is because you know, yeah, people, you know, it's I, there I named, forever. Uh, yeah, it's a hard decision. I named the friends of Dean Martin. I named that band, and I named some other people's bands too. But it's hard to think of a name for your own band. Yes, yes. <laughs> friends of Dean Martin is a great band name. Yeah, and then it came, it turned into Friends of Dean Martinez because the people, the Dean Martin people weren't weren't down. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
Nice. That's a good story, too. Well, Van, I've been trying to get these two to have you on the show for years now, so I'm glad this finally happened. And uh, Well, I can't thank you enough. Both Jeffrey and Sonia, thank you guys so much. And Ronnie, as soon as I started following your Facebook page, I, I always look forward to seeing what you're up to, man. I hope I meet you someday. Oh, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, me too. I I, I love Tucson. Uh, so the Muffs Come never played us. there, but I, I was there with my ex-wife's band a few times. That Congress, uh, Club Congress. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, if you come see us, we'll book a gig and have a big jamboree, man. Sounds good. That's reason enough to go. It's not <laughs> that go. far. It's not that far to go to Tucson. Eight hours. Yeah. In a car. You hear that? Jeff and Strong. Right, let's go. Oh yeah! Have, oh no, Jeff have... and Jeff and I are all for the road trip. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Come on, let's all for the road trip. Let's do this. I would love that. Yeah, let's do. Uh, this. All right, all right. There's well, a Whataburger outside of Phoenix. It'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah there's a Whataburger <laughs> right by my house too. Obviously. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> I go there. I go there too much. The deal. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Texas, so I love Whataburger. Yeah, so. Oh. Well, Van, we appreciate you. Hopefully, we will see you in Tucson before too long. Yeah. Hey, hopefully, and you got a new fan. I'll be I'll be listening in all the time. So thanks for having me. Great. Thank you very much. I'll be in you touch, will. Van. I'll be in touch. All right. Thanks, Ronnie. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye, you guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, -bye. Bye everybody. Well, how do you like them apples, Ronnie Barnett? Yeah, I know. Look at me staying on. You guys <laughs> no, mad? No, 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 but how cool is that? <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely. No, Van. I knew Van would be a cool guy in person. Um, and like he said, we've been friends online for a while. And, um, you know, he's always very cool. And yeah, of course, Van's cool in person. Great. I'm glad I, to yeah. get those football stories out of him. <laughs> what I love <laughs> is him referring to Dan Stewart as Danny. It's so endearing. But, you know, it was this one quote that he said, he goes, my friends, I root for them all the time. And Jeff and I keep talking about this, how within this music scene of this one moment in time in LA, yeah. um, it seems to be this real friendship or this at least rooting for one another that I think is it's just something that is heartwarming. You know, time passes, but people still think and, and um, hold each other. Yeah, no, and, and you go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, the names that like like filter through Naked Prey's career, you know, Paul Cutler and Steve Wynn and Dan Stewart, you know, and even you know Hal Gelb from Giant Sand, and yeah. you know all these all these great music people, Lisa Fancher, you know, it's just it was very vibrant. It was a great scene, and and everybody, yeah, everybody was. I'm sure there were some people that weren't pulling for some people, but you know. For the most part, you're right. It was a very supportive scene, and you know, um, I'm sure, all these bands played together many times, and yeah, just wonderful. And I'm, it's a good thing you guys are here to document this. Thank you. <laughs> hey, it, it, thank thank God that we listen, Jeff, yeah. to Ronnie Barnett. To Ronnie's wow. suggestion, yes, yeah. And thanks for having me along to interview my 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 childhood musical heroes every now and then so hey i appreciate it you teach us all the time i hope um, i don't talk too much so <laughs> you're, fine. <laughs> you're fine okay so i have to ask you ronnie then naked yeah. prey is the album that that you prefer of the releases uh, under the blue marlin that i that that would be their uh, definitive is the wrong word but you know what i mean i mean that's going to be the record that, that that's a record that defines them the whole sound the whole mm -hmm. you know it, it it sounds better the songs um you know it's the strongest set of songs i think um you know you could just hear the band had momentum at that point and they right. laid it all out there on that record and you know the sound i mean paul cutler's production is a big part of, of that too you know of that record but yeah that's that's the one. And that's the one that, you know, got most of the attention. I remember there were promo posters for that record and, you know, it got reviewed everywhere. And, and, you know, that's how I would, I, I didn't live here, uh, here being Southern California at the time, you know, I had to pick right. up and read about these things. And, um, and yeah, Naked Prey got a lot of, they got a lot of press alongside all that, all those bands. So 
and then the cover i mean yeah it's just it's you know it's a yeah. cool cover and and knowing that the the photographer was standing in a field of cacti yeah yeah <laughs> that, you know hat you know, for those of you listening who've never been to Arizona, and much less to Tucson, or as my relatives say, Tucson, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a neat landscape, yeah. and uh, with cool, just cool natural spaces. And then it was kind of a bummer to see on Kill the Messengers that oh yeah, uh, no sorry, on forty miles uh, from no from nowhere. Yeah, yeah, forty yeah. miles from nowhere. Where he said, see that field? Yeah, no, now it's a bunch of housing. <laughs> <laughs> as far back as you but, can see. Yeah, so, and I just love the fact that there's this constant link in all these albums back to Dan Stewart, Chris Gakovitz, or Chuck, you know, as, as he's kindly said, Chuck Rock. But it's just really, I look, the songs on uh, Under the Blue Marlin are really, really good. Yeah. all of them I, I i was listening before before we started recording and i just kept going how how did this band just not do more or how did i not hear of them more how did it take me so long to find them but you know after hearing band stories you go okay well it was just you know just kind of how it played out but the music is really good yeah yeah yeah. The music is really good. Stands alone. No. Nope. And from drummer to guitarist. Maybe guitarist. Yeah. I don't know. As he said, you know, I don't know anything about it. I don't, you know. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a front man. Yeah. I think he meant it first. Because, yeah, like when he, you know, gave up the drums, started writing songs, you know, he probably didn't feel confident in his playing. And especially when you get in a studio situation. Right, Jeff? Yeah. 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 So yeah, you know, you're you're just gonna be like, you know what, he, he can he can dock this out quick. Um, you know, but I look, Van Van he he made his way, he got better, you know. That's just how you know. Anyway. Yeah. I'm not I, I made no sense right there, but you know what I'm trying to get across. Yeah. You get it. I, know. <laughs> I get it, I get it. We yeah. feel you. We feel you. Well yeah. thank you. <laughs> Ronnie, thank you so much for suggesting that and coming on to help us through this. We really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me along and I'm uh, glad it finally happened. And uh, Yes. Yeah. All right, y'all. We got it's some awesome. ideas. Thank you. And also, how cool is that the band was wearing a muff shirt? I know. Cool. I know. I, I, uh, that he I got said, from Danny. He I, got, that I, he got from Danny, who I, gave him the shirt and three CDs. I sent it to the... I, I, I once posted my green and red shirt and Dan wrote me and was like, where's my muff shirt? And we, 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 uh, I sent him that and I only had like an extra large. And I remember him saying like, I think it's too big for me. I'm going to give it to a friend of mine. I didn't know it was Dan. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> so yeah. Great to that see him. Wear it. Cool. Great to hear oh. him say nice thing. I, ne I never, uh, try to insert my own personal band in these things, you know, when we're interviewing somebody, but, uh, I yeah, do, Jeff. I do that. I, yeah, yeah. Jeff's got no problem doing that, but you know, he's, he's, he's one of the hosts. Yeah, and and we weren't the muffs, so there's that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just guessing here. I'm playing the Steve Wynn role, so. Uh. <laughs> I think that's the best way to end it, then. Yeah. So, Jeff. <laughs> everyone, mi gente, agrubiar. Move on, Paisley people. Ronnie. Yes. So I'm actually, I'm amazed that I was able to actually get it together to do this thing. Technically, I was almost going to give up. No. But don't understand because I've never done this before and it's just frustrating the hell out of me. Oh. But at the last minute, we came, it came through. I'm so happy. You did it. All good. And All good. so appreciative. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I'm trying to get a look at your apartment, like your house, <laughs> stuff behind you. Oh. All, all kinds of so good. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, me? I, yeah, well, no, I, 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 I like looking at Ronnie's stuff. He's got all this cool stuff. I just have boxes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look at Ronnie's too. And Jeffrey's looks like, you, you and Jeffrey's looks like before and after. <laughs> <laughs>